0: Up in verse thirty-seven this morning. Although I'm just going to recap very slightly to uh, to verse thirty-five, which um, Paul Young uh, beautifully unpacked last week. But really, verse thirty-five leads into the verses that we're going to read and study this morning. Because verse thirty-five, Jesus says, uh, "See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. The light within you is not darkness. What is it?" Uh, that we carry within us. What's going on in our hearts? That's the that's the key to the verses that we're going to read this morning. The challenge is what's going on in our hearts? Uh, we may present something on the outside which may look all well and good, but what's going on in our hearts? See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. And that leads directly into this next um. Uh, uh, Incident from verse 37 When Jesus had finished speaking A Pharisee invited him to eat with him So he went in and reclined at the table But the Pharisee Noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal Was surprised Then the Lord said to him Now then You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish But inside you are full of greed and wickedness You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the former without leaving, uh, should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, "Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law! Because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray for a moment before we study these verses. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Father, thank you that as we read your words, your Holy Spirit within us and alongside us speaks to us. And Father, we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would indeed speak to us. May our hearts and minds be open to you this morning, that we may hear your voice and that we may be changed. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So. Uh, Jesus is invited to um, a meal by a Pharisee. As I mean, was well, studying this in the week, uh, the thought came to me, and it's, it can only ever be speculation. But I'd love to know whether the Apostle Paul was at this dinner, or Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, was at this dinner. As we know, the, the Apostle Paul was a you know a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a zealous. Pharisee, He would have been in complete agreement uh, with the Pharisee who invited Jesus to this, uh, to this meal. And I'd love to know uh, whether, whether Paul attended this meal. Even if he wasn't there, surely he would have heard about it. And uh, as he was in those days, he would have um, uh, despaired of Jesus. He would have thought that what Jesus did was utterly appalling, as we will discover and uh, perhaps when we, uh, when we get to heaven or when heaven comes here, uh, we'll find out whether or not Paul was at this dinner party. But uh, it's only speculation, but I'd love to know whether or not he was there, whether he observed all of this. So um, the Pharisee invites Jesus for a meal. Uh, Jesus goes in and reclines at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. So it it doesn't seem as if anything is actually said. Nothing is recorded about what the Pharisee says to Jesus. He he obviously just, you know, kind of does a look and looks surprised. And then we get this kind of um, enormous reaction from Jesus. Uh, Jesus gives him both barrels. And then in verse um, 45, when the expert of the law says, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus gives him both barrels as well. It's it's just a, it's like a ton of bricks comes down on them just because Jesus hasn't washed his hands. So we just need to kind of unpack a little bit about what is what is going on and why are the pharisees so offended by the fact that Jesus has not washed his Hands. Something very significant is going on here to provoke the reaction from Jesus that it does. And it is very significant. And the reason Jesus reacts so strongly is because this is, this is all about the nature of the kingdom of God. This, is, this kind of um, just highlights how does the kingdom of God come? How does the kingdom of God work? What is the kingdom of God really all about? This washing of hands, this is not like when we were kids and we came in from playing in the park and our mums said to us, go and wash your hands before dinner. This is not a matter of hygiene, this is all a matter of how the kingdom of God is going to come. Uh, Remember um, in John chapter 2, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana. What is the water... That Jesus turns into wine at the wedding of Cana. It is jars of water that have been set aside for ceremonial washing. And the water that is set aside is not ordinary water. It is water specifically uh, for ceremonial washing. It's made sure that it's clean because just ordinary water might not be clean enough for ceremonial washing. So at the wedding of Cana there are six water jars that Jesus turns into wine. And it's estimated that each jar contains between 20 or 30 gallons of water. So um, so minimum, at the wedding of Cana, there are 120 gallons of water just for ceremonial washing. That's a lot of water. And it's significant that Jesus turns that ceremonial water washing, washing ceremonial wa- water, water for ceremonial washing, into wine, because it's, it's exactly what's going on here. It's about how does the kingdom come? Is it about externals or is it about internal? internals? can't speak this morning. Is it about what we do on the outside that you can see? Or is it about what God is doing on the inside that you can't see? Which is more important? What Jesus should have done and what the Pharisee would have done is he went in for me. It's not a quick, it's not a quick wash. Uh, he wouldn't even have um, sung Happy Birthday or said the Lord's Prayer while he did his washing. He would have got a log of water. A log of water is um, one and a half eggshells. This is what the law required for ceremonial washing. One and a half eggshells of water. And you would begin by running the water from your wrist down to your fingertips. Uh, you would then wash the palm of each hand with the clenched fist of the other hand. So you run the water from the wrist down to the fingertips. Now, you then get the water and you wash the palm of your hand with your fist. And you then do the reverse. You then run the water from your fingertips down to your wrists. That's what you do before you even sit down. And then between each, between each course, you do a similar thing. Jesus doesn't do it. And the Pharisee is appalled because the reason that you do all of that, the reason that it's so important is because God has given you Law, And the laws are to be obeyed because God says in the Old Testament, if you obey my law, then you will be blessed. If you disobey my law, then you will be cursed. So obedience to the law is critical for the kingdom of God in the understanding of the Old Testament, the understanding of the Israelites, and the understanding of the Pharisees who are devoted to extreme obedience of the law. And the experts of the law that will come to you later, the experts of the law have the job of, well, we've got the Ten Commandments, but how do we apply the Ten Commandments to every aspect of our lives? That was what the experts of the law did. You take a commandment and you say, well, how does that apply to this circumstance? Well, the Pharisees, they're all about applying that law as rigorously as possible, because that's how you live In the kingdom of God. And if you live that way, then God will send the Messiah. And if you're an Israelite, you really want the Messiah to come. But you're longing for the Messiah to come. The Israelites, by the time of Jesus, have been waiting 400 years for God to send the Messiah. Because they know that God has made these promises. That one day, the Messiah will come. The Messiah will step into history. And the Messiah will free Israel from her oppressors. The Messiah will establish justice. The Messiah will establish God's kingdom. The Messiah will establish Israel once again as a glorious independent nation with a king like King David. If you're a Pharisee, that's what you're longing for. If you're a Pharisee, that's what you pray for every day. That the Messiah will come. And you do everything that you possibly can to speed the coming of the Messiah. And one of the things that you do to speed the coming of the Messiah is to obey God's law. Which is why ceremonial washing of your hands at mealtimes is not just a matter of hygiene. This is politics. This is about establishing the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus comes along, who you know is making claims to be the Messiah, and his followers are beginning to proclaim him as the Messiah, and he doesn't wash his hands... This is the most appalling thing that you could ever have seen. This is, this is blasphemy right in front of you. How can Jesus possibly be the Messiah when he doesn't even obey the commandments? He doesn't even obey the law. And so for the Pharisee, it's all about externals. It's all about things that can be seen. And it's all about ticking the boxes and doing the right thing. Well, the gospel that Jesus brings—the gospel, the good news that God promised in the Old Testament—was that when the Messiah came, the revolution would be that it would be an inner, internal transformation. It wouldn't be about external things that people can see. It would be about a new heart. I read at the at, uh, at the start of the service, as we in my introduction, some. Uh, Verses from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, where God makes a promise about what he's going to do when the Messiah comes. Let me just reread a couple of these verses. Uh, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's going to be an inner transformation. That's the heart of the gospel. Which is why Jesus reacts so strongly when he is criticised for not washing his hands. He uses this occasion to say what's really important is what is going on in your heart? A friend of mine often says that um, uh, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem. When we look at our world and we look at everything wrong that's going on in our world, the problem, the heart of the uh, well, is the problem of the human heart. It's our hearts that need to change. It's our hearts that need to be transformed. And the Pharisees have got to the point where the only thing that matters is what's going on on the outside. Uh, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish. Inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. you have got it completely wrong. It's all about externals. Uh, we can make that same mistake. We can make that same mistake, uh, even as followers of Jesus, we can make that same mistake, that it's, a, it's about what we do on the outside. It's about a tick box exercise. We have a list of do's and don'ts, all the things that we know we're supposed to do, and all the things that we know that we're, supposed, we're not supposed to do. And as long as we can get to the end of the day, and we've, got, you know, we've ticked off enough boxes, well, you know, that will be alright. That's what it's about. I remember when I, uh, when I first became a Christian, when I was seventeen years old. Um, uh, partly because of my upbringing, my the focus for me in following Jesus was obedience to a moral code. For me, that was that was the absolute focus. I knew things that I was supposed to do, and I knew things that I wasn't supposed to do. And if I could tick off some of the things that I knew I was supposed to do. Then I, I felt good. I thought, "Yeah, I'm a good person because I've done those things." And when I when I could tick, which um, generally there were more things than the other things that I wasn't supposed to do. When I tick those ones, that I feel, you know, I'd feel wretched. But as long as I had some, you know, some things in the in the good side, then you know, if they kind of balanced, then that, that would be all right. And for many years, that was I kind of thought that was how it was It's A moral code following Jesus is about being good. Living. No, it's. Not. I mean, it is. Don't get me wrong. Don't turn off and think, oh, blasphemy. No, it is. It is about living a moral life. But it's not about having a list and thinking, I've got to do these things and I mustn't do those. No, it's about inner transformation. It's about God giving us a new heart. It's about outflow, not inflow. Following Jesus is about having a transformed heart that then transforms everything that we do, everything that we think, all our attitudes, all our motivations. It flows from the inside out, not the outside in. The outside in thing, the Old Testament, it was kind of like a holding pattern. It was like a way of keeping, keeping the people of God safe until something better came along. And now in Jesus, something better has come along. I, over the years, I, I've, I've got so, uh, so saddened and so disheartened by the number of people that I've come across who have left the church because it has become such a burden. They've left the church because the burden, the expectation they should, they should be living their lives in a particular kind of way has become so burdensome that they've given up, exhausted. They felt so judged that they felt so condemned that they've that they've walked away it's the wrong way round the focus our focus should be on our relationship with the god who loves us it should be about welcoming the god who loves us into our lives it should be about welcoming the holy spirit into our lives the god who loves us and then as we're in relationship with him then he transforms us. I love these verses from uh, the first letter of Peter, uh, where Peter reminds the people, the Christians that he's writing to, about what God has done in them and what God is doing in them. And he writes 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given us new birth. And then, verse 9 of the same chapter, he says, You're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What I mean? It means we receive this new birth, this new life, and then that new birth works itself out into the way that we live. So often in the church we are critical of one another and we judge one another and we judge other people because they're not doing the things that we think they should be doing. How many times over the years have I, have I found that own attitude in my own heart as I've looked at others and I've heard others oh, 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 why are you doing that? I thought you were a Christian. Why are you doing that? Though the focus should be Pressing into relationship with the Lord Jesus, who then transforms us. That's why Jesus is so, so critical of the Pharisees and the experts in the law, because it's, it's all about these doing the right thing, ticking off the boxes, rather than what's the thing that he, um, he, he says, verse 42 Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. You didn't even have to tithe rue. Rue is not on the list of things you have to tithe. They're like going the extra mile. They're like, they're like tithing everything they can find. You don't have to tithe, Rue. I do not even know what Rue is, but you don't have to tithe it. And they're, they're even tithing there. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You neglect justice and the love of God. You should have. It's not that tithing is unimportant. He says you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. But the tithing, you know, why do I tithe? I tithe my income. I give, um, I give 10% of my income to the church. I believe that's a, a godly and a, a kind of a biblical principle kind of thing to do. I do that. Why do I do that? Not because it's a, uh, not because it's a, a, a duty. I do it because I love. I love God and I love the church. And the church is the vehicle that God has chosen for sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. So I want the church to be as resourced as it possibly can be to do that task. But I don't do it because I, I think, oh God will be pleased with me if I can tick that box. I do it because I love, I love, I've not always done it, but I do it because I love God. It's a heart thing. Won't you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. They, what they, they care about what other people think. More than they care about what God thinks. What drives your life? What are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about what other people think of you? Or are you more concerned about what God thinks? Are you living to please him... Or are you living to please other people? It's a heart thing. In my, I, I you know, I, I love people to love me. I don't want to not be, I don't want not to be liked. None of us don't want not to be liked. But more important is, well, does God, does God love the way I'm living my life? Does God approve of the way that I'm living my life? That's more important. Verse 44 is, is quite devastating. You, you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. If you walked over an unmarked grave, it made you um, it made you impure. It made you unclean. It meant you couldn't go and worship. You had to go and cleanse yourself if you walked over an unmarked grave. He's saying the Pharisees, they're like that. Just by being with a Pharisee, you are they're they're poison. This is a devastating critique of where the Pharisees are at, because it's all become about externals, and they've forgotten the heart. And if we do that, then we we, we just lose the whole point. Then verse 46, you ever have those moments when you say something and then immediately wish you kept quiet? Um, I think the experts probably thought, I wish I hadn't said anything now. Because it's like, uh, uh, teachers, when you say these things, you insult us also. And then Jesus gives him both barrels. Uh, Jesus cried, you experts in the law, woe to you! Expert of the oh, law, I wish I hadn't said anything now. Uh, you load people down with burdens they could hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. The job of the experts of the law, as I said before, was to apply the law. Well, what does the law mean for all these circumstances? And they, I mean they went to the nth degree to lay down regulations. For how you could obey the law. So, for example, on the Sabbath, you can't tie a knot. You can't tie a knot in a rope on the Sabbath because that's work. But, your wife can tie a knot in her girdle. I'm not really sure what a girdle is. I don't know if you've got any girdles, ladies. But, your wife on the Sabbath, she can tie a knot in her girdle. So, if you want to get water out of the well and you've forgotten to tie a not in the rope on the bucket before the Sabbath, you can use your wife's girdle. And that's not breaking the law. Uh, On the Sabbath, you can travel a thousand yards from your house. But, if you tie a rope across the end of the street, that becomes the boundary of your residence. So you can go a thousand yards beyond the rope. Or... Before the Sabbath, you can put two meals at any given point, two meals at any given point, and then a thousand yards begins at that given point, because that's now your residence. So the experts in the law, they just go to the nth degree of basically applying the law and then finding ways around it. That's what they they do. That's why Jesus says, in verse 52, you've taken away the key to knowledge. You've taken away the key. This is just nonsense. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who were entering. Now the danger is, the danger is that in the church we can do the same thing. We have to resist the temptation to do the same thing. My mum grew up in a church where it was it, it was almost as bad as this in terms of things that you were not allowed to do. And things that you had to do. And the condemnation that was heaped on you if you did the wrong thing. If you stepped out of line. The church can do the same thing. We can make it about externals. But Jesus is scathing. You've taken away the key to knowledge. This is not what it's about. It's about a re, just a reframing of the way in which the kingdom comes. You see, for the Pharisees and the experts in the law, you know, they really thought this stuff was important. Because they thought if they did this stuff, then the kingdom of God would come. And the Messiah would come. And when the Messiah came, then everything would be okay. And Jesus, they've, they've, they've really missed the point as they've gone along. And that's why Jesus is so challenging them. Because they think they're doing things that will lead to life. And Jesus says, no, you're killing yourselves. And you're killing everyone around you. It is about inner transformation. is scathing about you. He says, you know, you build tombs to the prophets, but the prophets are the ones who said God was going to send the Messiah and bring new life. He was going to give you, the prophets are the ones who said God was going to give you a new heart. And yet here you are, neglecting justice, neglecting love for God, building tombs to these very prophets whom your forefathers killed, and dismissing the greatest of all prophets who is now walking in your midst. Jesus is the greatest of all prophets. And yet they have become so dull, they don't even recognize him. It's all about what's going on in our hearts. That's the focus. The psalmist says, Psalm 46 verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. That's our priority. That should be our priority, is our relationship with God. He will do the rest. I remember um, listening to a friend a few years ago, and he was telling a story of uh, of his church and um, in in his church, his priority. And this is a you know Bible Orthodox Bible believing church, um, but he said our priority is that we welcome, we offer God's welcome to those in our community, whoever wants to come, however they may be living their lives. We offer God's welcome. We don't sit in judgment over them. We offer God's welcome. And he told the story of a couple who started coming to the church because they were welcomed. And they were a couple. They were not married and they were living together. And his understanding and my understanding uh, of marriage is that... um, is that sex is kept for marriage, and that marriage is between one man and one woman, to the exclusion of all others, until we die. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. And my friend, that was what his church believed, that was what marriage was. This couple came, they weren't married, they were living together, and they started coming regularly to the church. And after some time, a few people in the church came up to my friend and said, "Uh, look, this couple, you know, they've started coming regularly, you need to tell them, that they're not living right you need to tell them that they need they should get married if they're going to be part of the church they need to do it the you know do things the right way and his response to them was well actually i think if if that's what jesus wants then jesus will tell them he says, My job is not to judge them, my, ju- my job is to welcome them and to bring them into relationship with Jesus. He'll tell them what they need to do and what they need to change. And sure enough, over time, eventually this couple came to my friend one day and they said, Oh, we've just, we've just realized perhaps that we should, we should be married. We just realized that's that's actually what you what you believe. And um, but it's because they've been so welcomed. That they got to the point of Jesus showing that for themselves. If my friend had just said, Well, actually, you can't keep coming unless you get married, he would probably never have seen them again. But there was so so well, I forget whether it was the the man or the, one of them moved out and lived with a friend, and they arranged a wedding and had a wonderful wedding in the church, and they got married. But it was that way it was that way right See, it's about heart. It's about heart, it's about inviting people to meet someone who can. Change their heart and then he'll change the rest of them. Where so often we go about it the wrong way, we say, so Actually, you need to change all of these things and then you can meet Jesus. No, come and meet Jesus and then he'll change everything else. And I'm just going to finish by going back to this a kind of curious verse, verse 41. Is a curious verse, if you've got the New International Version, it will read, uh, Give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. But the words the dish aren't in the original. The original just says, give what is inside as arms. Give what is inside as arms. In other words, give what is inside to, if you like, to charity. Give it away. And what he means is, give your heart to God. Total surrender. Total submission. Total sacrifice. Give your heart to Jesus. And everything will be clean. Because it will be an inner transformation. That then works itself out into everything else. You can't do it the other way around. You can't change your heart. By living a good life. But you can live a good life. By changing your heart. And only Jesus can do it. So my prayer for you this morning, my prayer for all of us, is that we we surrender our hearts to Jesus and allow him to teach us and allow him to change us. That we stop judging one another and we allow Jesus, the great judge, to change us, to transform us, to love us. Let's take a moment to pray and to ask him to do just that in our lives this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the perfect expression of God's love. The perfect expression of God's welcome, of his justice, of his holiness. That you welcome us. You invite us as we are. You invite us to surrender ourselves to you and then you transform us. You give us a new heart of flesh Jesus if we've never done that before now Jesus we do that in these moments, Jesus we say take my heart I offer my heart to you this morning Jesus I know that I need to be transformed, I know that I need to be changed send your Holy Spirit To change my heart. All my sin. All my trespasses. I lay at the cross. I lay at your feet. I acknowledge your sacrifice for me. I ask for your forgiveness. Forgive me. And change me. And day by day. Make me more like you. For I ask it in Jesus name. Amen.